This interview was recorded for Politico magazine on March 15th. Hello and welcome to the Iran podcast. I'm Negar Mordhazavi in Washington, D.C. In this episode, I speak with Iran's foreign minister, Mohammad Javad Zarif. I ask him about diplomacy between Tehran and Washington and the sequence of return to the nuclear deal, future negotiations on Iran's missile program, regional presence, and human rights, Iran's fight against COVID-19 and mass vaccination, and the IRGC shooting down of the Ukrainian plane last year. And finally, I ask him whether he will run for president. I want to start with the JCPOA. Iran and the U.S. have stated the same goal of wanting to go back to full compliance with the nuclear deal. But two months into the Biden administration, we still see an impasse in diplomacy. And it seems like each side is telling the other to take the first step. And so far, the Biden administration says they're ready to meet and discuss a process for return. Why have you not met yet? Well, uh, I think uh, we need to be clear about what needs to be done. Uh, clearly, when we agreed on uh, JCPOA in July of 2015, uh, Iran implemented JCPOA, its obligations under JCPOA. The IAEA verified Iranian implementation in, Jul- in January of 2016, and then United States responded. Uh, That was the sequence of events in uh, the beginning. Iran continued its compliance. The United States, during the Obama administration, more or less, less more than more, uh, complied with JCPOA. uh, And then the Trump administration came. And for four years, the United States did not comply. Uh, And in the middle of those four years, uh, for three years, the United States withdrew from the deal. Now, uh, if the United States wants to go back to the deal, it has to follow the same order that we started. It has to now come back to compliance. And as soon as the United States comes to compliance, Iran will comply. This is as easy as that. You see, there is a cause and effect situation. The United States stopped complying uh, and then... After a year or almost 15 months, five IAEA reports uh, indicated that Iran even continued to comply after the U.S. withdrew, and then Iran stopped and reduced its compliance. That's within the terms of of JCPOA. Now we want to go back to compliance. The the party that has uh, started uh, this process has to go back, and Iran will immediately go back. Now, why don't we talk? Uh, The reason for not talking is that there's nothing to talk about. Uh, We we have an agreement. We talked about this agreement with the same people who are in the White House today, uh, with the same people who are in in the State Department today. So they know exactly what it takes to go back to compliance. Unless they are not serious about what they're saying, they want to use pressure and coercion in order to extract new concessions from Iraq. That is what uh, Wendy Sherman said in, the, uh, in, in her confirmation hearing, what others have said, the situation in, in 2021 is not the same as 2015. They want new agreement. They want a wider agreement. They want something else. They want to talk about sunset. They want to talk about missiles. They want to talk about 
other issues which has been repeatedly said by uh, members of the administration uh, that will go nowhere because in the in the 12 years that we negotiated uh, from 20, 2003 to 2015 and the two years that we focused on negotiations mostly with the americans we dealt with all these issues uh, the the sunset so called sunset which i don't believe there's any sunset but the so-called sunset are the timelines that we agreed upon. Mm -hmm. uh, and we discussed about them for two years. Now they want to reopen those discussions. It means another two years of unnecessary discussion. So there's nothing to talk about. If they have any questions about what needs to be done and when it needs to be done, I mean, there is a coordinator of, of the Joint Commission who can choreograph uh, this, and we are ready to, uh, to agree to a choreography. That is, the U.S. taking steps, and as soon as we can, we can confirm that those steps have been taken, we will take our steps. And the process of uh, verification for Iran is very clear. The IAEA will verify that we have complied. So let's talk about this process. What is the timing and the sequencing that Iran would agree to, that you expect? Well, as soon as the U.S., I mean, the U.S. can implement its obligations tomorrow, it can implement its obligations in 20 days, in, in a month, whatever. I mean, there has to be an executive order. It's clear what sanctions needs to be removed. There, uh, there are roughly 800 sanctions that uh, President Trump reimposed. There are roughly another 800 sanctions that President Trump, uh, new sanctions that President Trump imposed, or, or Congress. And there are some redesignations that President Trump uh, uh, I mean, redesignated certain entities in order to move them away from uh, nuclear-related issues to other to other issues. The Biden administration knows better than anybody what they are. So first, there has to be an executive order to return uh, and lift all these sanctions. Uh, basically, uh, terminate executive orders and waive uh, congressional action. And then that waiver needs to come into effect. As soon as that waiver comes into effect, that is as soon as OFAC allows transfer of money, transfer of uh, oil, uh, transportation, shipping, all of that, Iran can come back into compliance immediately. Our compliance doesn't take time. IEA can, can verify it and it's clear what we need to do. I mean, the terms are, are there in the JCPOA clearly. And how long are you, as Iran, prepared to wait for the U.S. to make this return? What is the next takes, As long as it takes for the U.S. to return. And so if they don't want to... What? So you will stay in the deal for as long as it takes for the U.S.? Well, uh, I think the deal uh, has all the uh, necessary contingencies. Uh, we are using paragraph 36 contingencies. obviously based on the decision of the parliament which is now law and we have to we are obliged to implement it uh, if uh, the united states continues uh, its uh, lack of compliance it means that iran will take uh, new steps that are uh, very clearly and transparently defined in the in the law uh, and the law is addressed to uh, to the government it's not an ultimatum to 
to anybody. It's, it's a law, it's a domestic law addressed to the government of, of, of Iran. And we need to observe that law. As soon as the United States goes back to compliance, everything will reverse. Now, you've said that you knew and have met with Joe Biden when he was a senator. Has President Biden, after he became president, surprised you or acted differently than you expected? No, I didn't expect him to act differently. Uh, I think the, the U.S. continues to be in, in the policy review process. Uh, but if it is in the policy review process, uh, it should not portray itself as having changed its policy because it hasn't. Uh, what we see as U.S. policy is exactly the same as, as, as the Trump administration. We haven't seen any change in policy. Uh, we've seen uh, Secretary Blinken boasting about uh, basically uh, preventing uh, Korea uh, from sending a fraction of our money to a Swiss channel, which was basically established by President Trump uh, in order to at least create a front uh, that the U.S. Uh, was not preventing humanitarian trade. So if this $1 billion that Korea wanted to pay us would go to the Swiss channel, it, I mean, by definition, it will be used only for food and medicine. So by extension of that logic, it means that Secretary Blinken is preventing us from using our own money to buy food and medicine. Uh, that amounts to an international war crime. And I want to ask you about dual national uh, prisoners. There are a number of dual national citizens detained in Iran. There's British Iranian Nazani Zaghariz at Radcliffe. There are Americans, Siamak Namazi, his father, Baqir, Emad Sharqi, Murad Tahbaz, detained with a group of environmentalists. Why are so many dual nationals in prison? Why haven't they, at least some of them, been released yet? Well, uh, it is interesting that you only name dual nationals that are imprisoned in Iran and not dual nationals that are imprisoned in the United States. There are quite a large number of them imprisoned on the, uh, in the United States purely for sanctions violations. Uh, one is being harassed today and for the past, whatever, uh, two months treated like a criminal uh, because he wrote articles about Iran. Uh, and he provided uh, consultation to, the, to, the, to our mission in New York. Uh, so uh, the, uh, this is not a one-sided situation. Unfortunately, the United States has been uh, treating Iranian Americans in the United States uh, in a discriminatory way, in addition to preventing uh, in the Muslim ban uh, Iranians from even coming to, to the United States and visiting their relatives. And now, hopefully, President Biden has lifted that, uh, but continues to uh, imprison uh, Iranians so for... So wrong and unjust, but why is it also happening in Iran? Uh, 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 the United States says that these people violated the law. Our judiciary says that these people violated the law. Now, I have proposed that as foreign minister, I can intervene only if I can have an exchange. So what we want to do is to exchange those Iranian-Americans with these Iranian-Americans. All of them are Iranian-Americans. Isn't that fair? And I made that proposal in, if I'm not mistaken, uh, September 2018. Under President so Trump. So are there any talks going on right now for exchanges? Unfortunately not. We haven't received any proposals. Uh, 
But, but we have said we are prepared for a universal exchange of all Iranian prisoners, uh, Iranian Americans uh, and other Iranians who are imprisoned in Europe, imprisoned uh, on the U.S. request in, in Africa, elsewhere, uh, waiting for extradition or being uh, unduly uh, punished. And we will release people who are here in, in prison charged with, with crimes. And I'm not, I'm not uh, in the judiciary and I'm not privy to, to the information the judge was privy to, so I, I cannot judge uh, the decision of a judge and a court. Uh, so let's, let's leave it at that. There are prisoners in, in the United States. There are prisoners in Iran and elsewhere. Uh, we, we can exchange them all. Let's talk about the uh, follow-on talks because President Biden has is also interested in follow-on negotiations beyond the JCPOA about other issues, including Iran's ballistic missiles program, its regional presence, and he's even talked about human rights. Is Iran open to discuss any of these issues with the United States? Well, first of all, the ballistic missiles issue and uh, uh, regional issues were discussed in the JCPOA. And the decisions we reached in the JCPOA reflects our discussions. Uh, the fact that the P5 plus one decided to continue uh, the restrictions on arms to Iran for five years, which just ended last October. The fact that they decided to continue uh, restrictions on missiles uh, for eight years until confidence is built about the purely uh, peaceful nature of our nuclear program. Uh, these are all addressed in the JCPOA. You see, the United States, the problem with the United States and its Western allies is when they deal with something and it's not to their 100% satisfaction, they want to reopen it. We dealt with all these issues. We dealt with the sunset issue. We dealt with missiles. We dealt with uh, our differences in the region. And the way we dealt with it, I mean, we, we had shouting matches about these. But we dealt with it. And the, and the outcome was what we have in front of us. Now, uh, our, the leader, uh, the supreme leader here in Iran, said very clearly that if the United States were to pass the test of JCPOA, then Iran would consider other issues. But the United States miserably failed, not only during the Trump administration, but even during the past two months of the Biden administration. So let's see. If the United States passes uh, JCPOA, uh, the test of JCPOA, that uh, doesn't seem uh, very likely, uh, then uh, we, we can uh, consider other issues. But let me tell you one thing. I don't think the United States would be prepared to discuss those issues. Is the United States ready to reduce its arms shipments to the region? The United States, 25% of the entire arms sales to the, to the world are sold to our region, and none of it to Iran. Is U.S. and its Western allies prepared to stop that? That's a very lucrative market. I don't think President Biden wants to do that. I hope he wants, but, but let's see. Saudi Arabia spends uh, nearly seven times as much as Iran on, on weapons. Uh, are they prepared to bring that down? Uh, because it's not about Iranian disarmament. If it's, if it's about regional issues, are, uh, are U.S. allies prepared to do their share? Is Saudi Arabia prepared to stop aggression in Yemen? Is Saudi Arabia prepared, I mean, to stop supporting terrorists in Iraq and in, and, and in Syria and in Afghanistan? Uh, th these, are, these are very open questions that, that will be asked. But 
we have said very clearly that we are prepared to talk to our neighbors in the region. Uh, the six countries in the, in the GCC, plus Iran and Iraq, are the countries uh, in the Persian Gulf region. And we're always ready to talk to, uh, among the eight countries of the Persian Gulf. Um, talking about the GCC, I have a question on that as well. There's a growing alliance between Israel and some of the GCC countries. Has this affected Iran's calculations in the region? But it, it unfortunately affects their security calculations. No? Uh, and and uh, uh, let me explain to you what I mean. I think our, uh, our neighbors in, uh, in the Persian Gulf, uh, some of them at least, have always tried to buy security uh, through proxies. Uh, their proxy at one time was Saddam Hussein. More recently it was Trump. And now they want Netanyahu to be their proxy. Obviously it doesn't work. It didn't work with Saddam Hussein. It didn't work with Trump. It will certainly not work with Netanyahu. Uh, what Netanyahu will do is to bring the war to their territory. And uh, I think they're badly mistaken in doing that. Uh, but we are prepared to talk to our neighbors. And uh, we even suggested to them uh, three, four years ago a regional uh, security arrangement. We suggested to them uh, a non-aggression pact. We suggested the HOPE initiative, uh, Hormoz Peace Endeavor. So all of these are on the table and, and the countries in, uh, in the southern part of the Persian Gulf uh, can decide to come back to the region. Uh, I, I, can, I can assure them that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, hardly can, pre can keep himself out of prison, let alone uh, provide them with security. And some of these uh, GCC countries want their Western partners, allies, especially the United States, to be present. Are you willing to sit down with everyone at the table to discuss reducing tensions in the region? Well, we believe that tension in the region is caused by the presence of foreign forces. Uh, and they're not, they're not the cure. There's the malady. There's the illness. Uh, we are prepared to talk to our neighbors. The United Nations can provide an umbrella, and the United Nations, under Resolution 598-1987, has the uh, necessary mandate to provide that umbrella, which gives our uh, neighbors in, in the southern Persian Gulf the assurance that there will be an international umbrella. And I have a question about COVID. Iran is one of the first hit countries in the region. It's the epicenter of the pandemic in the Middle East. Nearly 2 million cases reported, over 60,000 deaths officially reported. Where are you getting the vaccines from? Which countries are you getting the vaccines from? And what is your timeline, a plan for vaccinating the population, the entire population? Well, we, well, we started vaccinating the population uh, a couple of weeks ago, not the entire population, but the uh, health professionals. Uh, we started with health professionals and we continue with, uh, with medical workers and, and elderly uh, and people in uh, the vulnerable segments of the population. Uh, let me tell you, uh, the story is that unfortunately the sanctions by the United States uh, whether they like it or not, or whether they uh, admit it or not, has prevented Iran from uh, making its payments into COVAX. Uh, it delayed our payments into this uh, global facility for, uh, for vaccines uh, by about four months. Uh, instead of uh, August and September, when we originally wanted to pay, uh, we couldn't pay until January. 
And we're talking about $52 million. We're now talking, I mean, and at least in Korea, we have close to $10 billion. Uh, and we haven't been able to send 52 of those 10, 10 billion. Uh, we, we finally did it in January, and that delayed the process. Right now, we are, our uh, medical community, the, the equivalent of your uh, FDA, has agreed uh, to accept uh, on emergency basis uh, the Sputnik uh, vaccine, uh, China Farm, uh, Sinopharm vaccine, uh, Sinovac is in the process of being uh, approved. Uh, we have three Iranian vaccines uh, undergoing second and third trial phase. Uh, the, uh, the vaccine co-produced between our Pasteur Institute, a hundred year old vaccine uh, production facility in Iran and uh, Cuban uh, pharmaceuticals uh, is now ready for its uh, final uh, trial phase, the third trial phase and uh, hopefully mass vaccination. We believe the two other companies in Iran pharmaceuticals that will produce our, our own vaccines will be ready by June and July for, for mass vaccination. We are hoping uh, to be able to do mass vaccination when our own production comes online. It is, it is regrettable that the West is hoarding vaccines. Uh, and it, it's an issue uh, in the international community why during this pandemic uh, the countries outside the West uh, are hardly having access uh, to, to any vaccine. We know that this, this pandemic has to be uh, addressed globally. You cannot address this pandemic locally. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> just like uh, in other cases, the West doesn't see it that way. Well, there's also uh, an order from the Supreme Leader banning certain Western vaccines, especially those uh, produced in the United States and the UK. How does that come into play when you're talking well, the, about the, the There is debate in the medical community. The, the, the decision by the Supreme Leader was, was not initiated by him. There were, there were requests from the medical community uh, about uh, genetically modified vaccines, uh, um, called whatever, RMNA, mRNA, I, I don't know what, what they're called, uh, but, but Pfizer, uh, Moderna uh, are, are, are of that type. Uh, but uh, uh, other vaccines, we are uh, under, COVID, under COVAX, we are getting AstraZeneca uh, vaccines, which is a Swedish-British uh, vaccine. We are getting uh, Indian-British vaccines. So we, we, we're getting vaccines. Uh, it's just the, the types uh, that were seriously uh, concerning uh, in Iran uh, that have been, uh, for the time being, uh, prohibited. I have a question also about the Ukrainian plane. It's been over a year since it was shot down over Tehran airport with IRGC missiles. And the UN Special Rapporteur Agnes Kalamart has recently submitted a very detailed report to Iran with a number of questions and concerns. Why is Iran not collaborating with her? Uh, well, uh, you see, this is not within the terms of reference of the, of the Special Rapporteur. Uh, it is an it is an ICAO uh, issue, and we are co working with with the, with the International Civil Aviation uh, Organization. We will be uh, presenting our official report, which has gone through uh, the procedures since December, I believe, 
the procedures of the uh, International Civil Aviation Organization based on uh, the relevant conventions, and it will be out uh, very shortly. Uh, it, it was a, a, a hugely regrettable incident in, and uh, tragedy. Uh, uh, we, I mean, Iran lost uh, most of the most of the passengers were uh, either Iranian citizens or, or at least of Iranian origin or dual nationals, uh, uh, basically uh, Iranian dual nationals. So uh, it, it, it's a tragedy for us. We offered uh, quite some time ago, uh, and we set aside uh, the required money to pay in line with. Uh, not, not even uh, international conventions we were members of, but uh, international conventions uh, that uh, have been more recent. Uh, the amount of money to every single person on the planes and, and our Ministry of uh, Transportation has been charged in Iran with, with making the payments. Unfortunately, uh, some countries uh, are preventing uh, the nationals from, from taking advantage of this, but, but we are ready to make the compensation because we believe that that has to go uh, forward. And finally, uh, punishment. Uh, people who perpetrated uh, this uh, very tragic mistake uh, have been detained, are, be, uh, are being tried uh, by, by pertinent judicial authority, and uh, they will be punished. And some why, of them was the airport, why was the airport not closed at a time of high military tension? B because, uh, you see, we went through eight years of war. And during those eight years of war, uh, only the areas directly involved uh, in, in, in the war uh, had their airspace closed. Uh, this is a technical decision made by technical authorities. This was not a political decision. Uh, a military decision, and at that, at the time that the military decision was taken to respond to the uh, to the terrorist action by the United States in killing General Soleimani, uh, the area of operation, the theater of operation, was in Western Iran. Had no reason to to close the airports in other parts of the of, of the country. There is an investigation going uh, on uh, within the military about whether it was necessary to close the airport. But uh, the analysis is because the war was, because the operations, it wasn't a war, it was just uh, an operation in self-defense, was taking place in the western part of the country. Uh, only those areas needed to be uh, cordoned off. And finally, there's rumors that you may be the reform candidate for the presidential election in June. Will you run for president? I will not. That was Mohammad Javad Zarif, Foreign Minister of Iran, speaking to me from Tehran. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Iran Podcast. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast apps and follow us on Twitter at Iran Podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.